Attorney General Ken Paxton gets a trip to the woodshed. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. Hi, I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com. Joining me, as always, to help you understand this week in the news is ace political reporter at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com, Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir. Hello. Very sad day for sure, but... It is. Yeah, let me, let yeah. me get to that in just a minute. Um, sad day for... Houston, uh, for sure. Uh, but I want to start with something a little different. And I say a little different because I don't remember Ken Paxton, our attorney general, since he has been embroiled in one scandal after another, uh, having to stand and answer a lot of questions about the different scandals he's been involved in, different issues he's been involved in. But you know how to get his attention, Jeremy? Threaten his budget apparently is is how how you get him down there. So he appeared in front of the Texas Senate finance committee this week. And I actually had somebody ask me this question. They said, did they have to subpoena him or what? How did they get him down there? And I think the person who asked that was just sort of, you know, somebody who's a casual observer of all this. And they assume that because he's got so many legal issues, he would have to be subpoenaed to be answering questions in front of a panel of lawmakers. But no, that's not it at all. Um, The way to get the attention of someone who is the head of a state agency, which he is, he has about 4,000 employees or so, something like that. The way to get their attention is to cut their budget, right? Which you had reported, uh, you scooped everybody on this. Uh, The Republican-led legislature, the Texas Senate, in their base budget, they were cutting his budget requests significantly, right? Yeah, yeah. They were clearly trying to send him a quiet message. You know, this wasn't supposed to be played out publicly, you can tell, uh, Mm -hmm. because this was buried in the budget. I literally went page by page through the Texas budget and saw this and said, wait, something's wrong here. What's going on here? Because you look at it and they're cutting 155 employees out of his budget, uh, which would knock him down to the lowest number of employees since he's been in office. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that is not... You know, just a simple thing. This is going to be like a real fight, a real question. And I had wondered how much publicly they would let this thing play out. Mm-hmm. And it played out just in dramatic fashion. Now, I expected Democrats to ask some pointed questions. I mean, Paxton uh, filed suit against other states to try to overturn their election results. That was very controversial. He was also at that rally on January 6th in Washington, right before the insurrection. Uh, Senator John Whitmire, who's the dean of the Texas Senate, a Democrat from Houston, asked about Paxton being at that rally and whether any taxpayer dollars were spent to make that trip. Attorney General Paxton, you just opened the door as to one of the reasons you filed your federal lawsuit challenging Pennsylvania and others was that our forefathers wanted to be done civilly. So he provided the opportunity for you to file the lawsuit. Uh, On January 6th, you participated in the rally at the White House, I believe, before the right? I was there, yes. I was there for a short speech. Do you think that that was conducive to resolving things civilly as you described filing your lawsuit? Yeah, I'm a total believer. Our lawsuit was done, but I'm a believer in free speech rights and the First Amendment, yes. I have no problem with people expressing their views even if they're different than mine. Well, but when the riot began, did you have the opportunity to ask your base to maybe stand down? No, I, 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 I did my speech. Um, Angela and I left 
after the, the speeches and we went and had lunch and people did what they did. As it relates to the budget, were you there on state business or on campaign expenses? Did you spend $1 of state monies to be there, your security, transportation? No, I didn't spend money personally. Now, security is with me often, but I was there to also talk about MFAR. I wanted to make sure that that issue got resolved before I left because we didn't have any more time. So I had a, a state purpose, um, but I didn't spend- State purpose at the rally? No. The next day, I had meetings at the White House to deal with MFAR to see if I could get that resolved before they we ran out of time. That was, uh, that's how I spent most of my time. Paxton saying that he had some government business while he was there in Washington. Uh, Jeremy, that would make the short answer to Whitmire's uh, question, yes. They did spend tax dollars to take that trip, right? Because they were there on state business as well. Now, I expect that kind of clash. I mean, he also talked with uh, Senator Royce West, who's from yep. Dallas, another Democrat, who really got into the weeds of the lawsuit to try to uh, overturn election results in other states. And that's the kind of thing that I thought would happen. That's the kind of sparks I expect to fly. Here's what I didn't expect. The Republican chair of the Finance Committee, Jane Nelson, who, as you know, is a former school teacher. Yep. Listen oh, boy, to the did way come she, through. <laughs> well, listen to the way she's talking to Paxton. If you had been a student and your teacher was speaking this way, you would know you were in trouble. <laughs> um, she raised the question about these raises to employees of Paxton's that were just given out, and the legislature was completely cut out of that process. It is of great concern to me, and Senator Paxton, you know that I'm not pleased, Um uh, we, this committee has always considered significant pay raises for, from agencies as a part of the budget process. We are very um, judicious in, in what we, for all agencies, and money's been tight lately, and some are granted, some aren't, but we have an appropriations process for a reason. And if every agency did what yours did, General Paxton, we wouldn't have a budget. We wouldn't even need a budget. And it, it does not please me what that, you know, we had a $40 million expenditure for raises that LBB didn't approve, this legislature didn't approve, nobody approved. And it made me very, very unhappy. Senator, I and so now, you know, we're sitting here looking at, at budget requests, and, and I've got, you know, we've... <laughs> Concerned, we all have, you know, our particular areas of interest. And I look at our little victim assistance services programs and our rape crisis centers, and and they're they're much much smaller amounts of money, and we're making sure that we're protecting them. And then we have pay raises that, when we went through the budget process, we didn't they they weren't in front of us. We didn't consider. We didn't weigh is this more important than this? And. Um, I wish we'd done that one differently. I sure wish you'd done it differently, too. You notice, Jeremy, when he was talking to Whitmire, and this was also the case when he was talking to West about that, uh, that lawsuit on the election results, he was defending himself, standing his ground. He didn't really do that with Nelson, did he? He said, uh, we probably should have done that different. Yeah. Well, and, and it's important to know, too, like even before her, remember uh, uh, State Senator Paul Bentoncourt from Houston, a Republican, he had kind of started it. Uh, where he ended up like, you know, at the tail end of his questions, he basically says, tell me you're not going to do this, you know, transfer again. Because mm -hmm. the, the problem with the transfer, it's not that these people got raises, you know, because he ended up, it's like 1,800, you know, raises were given out to people, particularly in the child support 
divisions. Mm-hmm. So on the surface, that sounds like an okay thing, right? You know, it's Where like, they probably need it. I mean, and you know, the, the attorney general's office is such an important agency. I think a lot of people don't yep. understand and, and don't, don't lose your place on that. But the, the fact is um, that dealing with child support, that is one of the most complicated things and most important things that they do. So it's not that those people don't need raises, but to her point, they can't just do it that way. The legislature well, always exercises oversight on how this money gets spent, and he just did something else. Well, and not only that, but so mm-hmm. here's the thing: I've been covering budgets for thirty years. You know, it's yep. like I, I I know far more about it than a normal journalist should. Probably, <laughs> I've lost many a night, you know, going through budgets. But uh, the problem with what he did, the real big no-no here, is he took money from capital funds which are usually construction projects, things like that. He took money from capital funds Mm -hmm. and used it for pay raises without telling anybody. The Mm -hmm. LBB, the Legislative Budget Board, you know, they made it very clear that this was a complete violation of budget authority to move that money Mm -hmm. without even at least getting their go-ahead or the legislatures. So that is the problem here. It's not just that he tried to hand out raises about the legislature. He tried right. to hand out raises, and he took it from some place he shouldn't have out of the capital budget, and then he had kind of the gall to come to them and ask for more money in his capital budget for more capital projects for this year. Yeah. It's like you could imagine somebody in the legislature, you know, it's like who knows who helped draft the, the ultimate, you know, you know, first verse. Uh, first draft of this budget, mm-hmm. but they, that was clearly in their head. They're like, this guy took taxpayer money out of a place where it shouldn't have been taken and yeah. spread it around like he is in control of it. And he's a former state senator. He yes. sat, you know, just feet from Jane Nelson for years. You know, it's like it's not like he doesn't know this is a no-no. So I think yeah. I think that's the big thing. I think Paxson he has all sorts of other controversies, but this one kind of hit at a different core. And this is why you yeah. wouldn't normally see the Republicans airing this all out against one another in in a forum like this. But mm-hmm. he kind of left them no choice because right. if he gets away with this, you know, it's like you end up with a thing like can you imagine other agencies with maybe you know. You're taking advantage of the same thing. Hey, you let no. him get through with this. Mm-mm. You know, so I'm going to take this money and I'm going to give pay raises to whoever I want. Well, and one big reason that those are separated out that way is capital expenses are one-time expenses. And yeah. somebody's salary is an ongoing expense, right? So Correct. you can't just take, take. I mean, there are other reasons that those are separated, but that's a big reason for it. Um, it the thing with Paxton is in all the things he's accused of, um, you know, his uh, SEC violation, which I think we're going into the sixth year now of him being uh, under indictment for that uh, at the state level. Uh, he now has these uh, federal um, uh, potential charges. Uh, you know, he's got uh, for, you know former staffers uh, who have asked the yep. FBI to look into it, and apparently they are. It was reported by the Associated Press they had opened an investigation into um, just sort of petty stuff. It's never that uh, Paxton is, is doing something that is this grand scheme to take over the world. Anyway, it's always sort of petty stuff. As some One Republican described it to me. It's, it's always a five-buck crime with him. Um, the, the, the new thing he's accused of in his legal problems is that uh, he was doing favors for, this is all alleged, he says he didn't do anything wrong, but um, the allegation is from his conservative former top staffers in the same office, where why would they want to leave anyway, Jeremy? They just all got these raises. But anyway, they, they left <laughs> because um, they said that he was that he had this inappropriate relationship with a political contributor, and the new information this week was that not, and again, five buck crime, um, that he had lined up a job for 
a an alleged mistress. Uh, he is married, and there's this allegation he was having an affair, and this uh, this political contributor gave this uh, mistress a job, and that he got some uh, home remodeling done as well, <laughs> which is just sort of petty stuff once again. So um, I think when it, it when it and you know it's easy for Democrats to be outraged about it, campaign against him, talk about this guy who is um, you know corrupt and a fraud and all that sort of stuff, and you hear that stuff all the time. But when the same sort of just kind of looking the other way and you know doing something he's not supposed to be doing, when it happens in a process where the Republicans are in charge of it, well, you heard from Jane Nelson there. She, Jeremy, she was not going to put up with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, you know, it's like it feels like every day, you know, with this guy. Something you know, else. It's just like, like, it's like I've never seen an attorney general who's in the news this frequently with without you know dealing with his own lawsuits you know against other you know people right you know this guy is just like all week long he's been you know in the news and it's not for anything he probably wants to be in the news for yeah. so watch him mm-hmm. try to get some attention on some other issue <laughs> this is where he sues Biden administration for anything right just so you yes. can change the dang topic you know because yes. and you know this look is got to be mm-hmm. yeah this is like a drip 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 type of thing right you know since since October it's been like almost daily that there's some new development, you know, with these scandals, these issues, you know, what he's doing in this budget, you know, mm-hmm. how he's managing his office, you know. Again, this is all taxpayer related. That's the thing that, like, you know, this isn't just some, you know, outside, you know, you know, interest or whatever was going on. This is like, you know, literally his office, the office that's supposed to be kind of our voice as texans mm-hmm. you know sure. on legal issues and, and and so it's it's his staffing you know that which is all funded by taxpayers it's his you know budget which is funded by taxpayers and it's how he's using it i think which has made it turn into a republican conservative legislature question like mm-hmm. wait a minute you know this is not your money this yeah. is our money as taxpayers and we're letting you use it to do the job we hired you to do yeah, and now that they're past the election, the Republicans can start to really dig in on some of what they think he might be doing wrong. They certainly would not have done this before the election when the uh, Republicans sort of all needed to be as unified as they could when they were facing a big challenge from Democrats, which sort of fizzled out. Some breaking news this afternoon here on Friday as we record the show, and this is not necessarily political, although it does have some, um, you know, there's, there's, there, it's always tangentially related, everything's sort of political. J.J. Watt is leaving the Houston Texans. Um, he uh, took to Twitter just this uh, this morning uh, to let everybody know. He said he didn't want to do this as a press conference or a press release. He wanted the people of Houston and Southeast Texas, who have been his fans for years, he wanted everybody to hear it right from him. I came here 10 years ago as a kid from Wisconsin who'd never really been to Texas before. And now I can't imagine my life without Texas in it. Um, the way that you guys have treated me Besides draft night, I mean, you guys booed me on draft night, but uh, every day after that, you treated me like family, and I truly feel like you're my family. They did boo him on draft night. Um, they will talk more about the sports angle on this on Texas Sports Nation. That's the uh, sports podcast from the Houston Chronicle. You'll want to subscribe. They haven't posted a new show as of yet. I'm sure this this will probably be topic number one when they do. Uh, but, Jeremy, you were making the point that, you know, after Hurricane Harvey uh, and in a lot of different ways, this is a guy who embraced the city of Houston um, and southeast Texas uh, in a way that makes him more than more than just a sports hero. 
right? Yeah, exactly. If you want the sports breakdown, what he means to the defense and all that stuff, you know, John McClain and the folks over at yeah. Texas Sports Nation will break this down for you. But they've got for, it. Yeah, don't yeah, worry. But about for that. us, you know, the, the the reason this is so kind of important, I think, for Houston as a community is like forget the sacks, forget the tackles, forget the Pro Bowls. Pro Bowls. The real problem here is this guy, you know, after Harvey raised forty-two million dollars for relief. Like they went out with a goal to raise two hundred thousand dollars, and they raised forty-two million dollars, and that paid for almost twelve hundred homes to get repaired. Uh, he put out two hundred thirty-nine million meals to people in the mm-hmm. you know the Texas and Southeast Houston region you know, to take care of them after Hurricane Harvey. It's like that, those are real impacts. It's like it's, it, when sports people can kind of take their fame and wealth and kind of move it into you know a community thing. You know, it just became something different. This isn't like you know when the Rockets traded James Harden off the team or you know <laughs> right. or George Springer signed somewhere else. And mm-hmm. no, no, no disrespect to those two, two men. They certainly yeah. did what they did on the field. Mm-hmm. But in the community, J.J. Watt is this like he became a philanthropy kind of source. And like really kind of grew into the role of wanting to represent the city and the city totally embraced that. And we probably needed it, particularly during that Hurricane Harvey stretch. Yeah. So you, hopefully you people have, remember that part of him, mm-hmm. you know, more than just the sacks. You could have imagined that uh, he's somebody who would have just played his whole career basically uh, in one place because he just embraced Houston so much. We will miss him. All right, let's go to Washington. Are you ready? You got um, it. The all of the theater of the impeachment trial uh, playing out in dramatic fashion this week. Have you watched any of it? Uh, almost no. I've, I've, no, I've watched you know some of the clips in the background, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're showing the emotion of the day, the fear uh, and the uh, sadness of what unfolded during that insurrection on January 6th. Um, by the time you hear the show, this whole thing may be over. I mean, they may vote on this as soon as uh, Saturday, but we'll see how it goes. Watch quorumreport.com and HoustonChronicle.com for updates on the impeachment trial. Um, Our uh, Texas politicians have played outsized roles in all of this. Um, Joaquin Castro, the brother of Julian Castro, who, of course, ran for president. Joaquin Castro is a member of the House, Democrat from San Antonio, who is one of the impeachment managers. Basically, they're like the prosecutor in the uh, trial. Uh, even though you have to keep reminding people, Jeremy, it's not a court proceeding. It's a, a legislative proceeding and therefore is very political. Unlike, it, there was a report just today that Ted Cruz, one of the senators who serves as a juror, right, in the impeachment trial, he was meeting with members of Trump's legal team or the defense team. I'm in shocked it, that there's politics well, going on well, in this process. <laughs> that's, you know, here's the thing. People will question that and say, should that actually be happening? But it's an acknowledgement by Cruz, who has often compared this to a court proceeding. You know, he and other Republicans have said, this is not the kind of due process you would get in a court proceeding. Well, there's a reason for that, because it's not a court proceeding. And the fact that he met as a juror, he met with the defense team. That shows you it's not a court proceeding, right? What he did, there's no illegality there. He can do that. Uh, The propriety of it, people will talk about that. Now, Castro was making the case that Trump incited that riot on January 6th. And actually, I thought this was interesting, Jeremy. Castro sort of offered a little moment of empathy for President Trump. Take a listen. Now, all of us in this room have run for election. And it's no fun to lose. I'm a Texas Democrat. We've lost a few elections over the years. <laughs> but any sympathy for Trump ended right there. But can you imagine telling your supporters 
that the only way you could possibly lose is if an American election was rigged and stolen from you. And ask yourself whether you've ever seen anyone at any level of government make the same claim about their own election. No, never, ever. Castro argued that Trump absolutely intended to inflame and incite the people at that rally, uh, not just when they were there together, when Trump was telling all of those folks at the rally that they should fight like hell, but also before that, for months, starting not even after the election, Jeremy, but even before that. Remember, President Trump was arguing, and we heard Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick say the same thing, that if the Democrats win, if Biden becomes president, it can only be because they stole it, right? So the misinformation campaign was going on for a long time. He truly made his base believe that the only way he could lose was if the election was rigged. And senators, all of us know and all of us understand how dangerous that is for our country. Because the most combustible thing you can do in a democracy is convince people that an election doesn't count, that their voice and their vote don't count, and that it's all been stolen, especially if what you're saying are lies. Well, there's the key. It, it should make people outraged. If the claims were true, they should be angry and in the streets. But the claims were not true. Um, and that was shown over and over again through court cases throughout the country. More than 60 lawsuits that were tossed out, tossed out by judges, including some who were appointed by President Trump himself. When Ken Paxton, who you heard at the beginning of the show, when he sued to try to overturn uh, the election results in some other states, the Supreme Court of the United States, including justices appointed by Trump, right? They said that they don't have standing to bring yeah. this uh, lawsuit. Um, now, I can imagine that maybe one or two Republicans might change their votes, uh, you know, from uh, to, to to convict Trump or, or to not convict Trump. I can imagine that one or two might do that. I don't think Ted Cruz is going to do that. No. Um, after watching all of the videos and watching the evidence laid out and the arguments that were made by the Democrat, uh, the Democratic House impeachment managers, um, the, as we're talking now, uh, Trump's legal team is making their case uh, here Friday and Saturday. Um, but uh, Cruz, he says he's not impressed with any of what Castro or any other Democrat had to say. I think today typified what we're going to see this week, which which is it reminds me of Shakespeare. It's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We're going to see this week a whole lot of Democrats pounding the table. We're going to see a lot of moralizing uh, and, and a lot of really venting their hatred for Donald Trump. Uh, in case you haven't been paying attention the last four years, the Democrats really, really, really hate Donald Trump. Cruz was on Fox News Channel with Sean Hannity. This is going to be just venting the id of the Democrats. Senator and then it's going to end with yeah. failure. It is going to end with the president being acquitted. In order for the president to be convicted, it takes 67 votes in the U.S. Senate. That's not going to happen. It's not going to get 67 votes. It's not going to get close to 67 votes. Every one of the 100 senators knows that. Every one of the House managers knows that. But this is political theater because rather than address the real problems, the real challenges we have in this country, rather than focus on getting kids back in school and getting tens of millions of Americans back to work, the Democrats want a week of, of just political theater raging at Donald Trump.
I would note that there are markups being done, or what they call markups, are doing hearings on uh, some of the uh, COVID relief uh, this week. You know, as they're um, you know debating whether or not uh, to convict Donald Trump, and uh, the CDC is, if they haven't done it already, they're coming out uh, real soon with their uh, guidance on reopening schools. So the federal government can do more than one thing at a time. Uh, Jeremy, I, I think he's right that the, uh, in all likelihood, the Senate is not going to convict Donald Trump. But that would mean that you should only fight a fight if you know you're going to win. Yeah, and, and, and to some degree, he's he's kind of right. You know, it's like in terms mm-hmm. of like the Democrats letting this become a national story for the week. You know, it's like, you know, granted, there are other things happening, like you said, behind mm-hmm. the scenes. There's committees happening. You know, Congress is still operating on other things, too. Sure. Remember, this is not, you know, this the entire House of Representatives isn't talking about this right now. They're all doing other stuff as well. And yeah. so he's right in that the focus that the Democrats have done is to take away from Biden's, you know, early days in his administration mm-hmm. and turn to this, which was the key, you know, question is like, you know, why are they doing this now? Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, they have to hold, you know, Trump accountable for what they think, you know, That's their he's argument. responsible yeah. mm-hmm. for. It, it makes sense on that regard. But I think Cruz is kind of right here. It's just like this is, you know, a, a massive distraction and, and it's wall to wall coverage of this thing right now on all the TV, you know, news you know, channels for sure. And that's taking the oxygen away from, you know, Joe Biden meeting this morning with the Arlington mayor, you know, trying to work out COVID relief legislation. We're yeah. not hearing that as much, right? We're mm-hmm. hearing about, oh, my gosh, what is Trump's lawyers going to say today? And so yeah. I think that, I think he makes a good point. And, and circling back to one other thing, like, you know, it's interesting, you know, listening to where Cruz is, it's no surprise here at all, right? He's walked this far down the plank with President Trump. It's not like he's going to turn around and try to like say, okay, this guy's, you know, we got to make sure he never runs for office again. He's he's already, yeah, he's Mm -hmm. been trying to win over these Trump supporters ever since they booed him off the stage in Cleveland in 2016. It's like this is him trying to, you know, make sure he's, you know, saying the right things to make Mm -hmm. sure the Trump crowd, you know, might want to support him if he runs for office again, you know in 2024 right and so that's the question for him and i think it's just not surprising to hear him make this vociferous defense want to go on hannity to Mm -hmm. make sure he's the face of you know defend trump as long as he possibly can yeah at this point um he can probably move on after they have voted and he's he's certainly done his uh due diligence on that of being the the face of the opposition to those who wanted to hold trump accountable um i would say that it has been a debate even within the Democratic Party. Uh, part of the proof of what you're saying is that the White House and Joe Biden's uh, spokesman or spokes, spokeswoman, uh, Jen Psaki, the new White House press secretary, she's not answering questions about it. They're almost acting like at the White House that they're not watching any of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it, well, that would be a stretch, uh, right? But But they don't want it to be the thing that's dominating the news either. I think they'll be happy to move on as well. We did get some sad news out of Washington. Um, the uh, representative for Arlington, which you mentioned, um, Ron Wright, congressman from Tarrant County, he passed away uh, from complications of COVID-19. He's the first congressman or sitting member of Congress to die after a COVID-19 diagnosis. And we should add to that that he uh, had been battling lung cancer. Um, and so, you know, you'll get uh, comments from people, with, that's what killed him, but it was not COVID-19. It would, but that doesn't matter. I mean, the point is, uh, here's somebody who uh, had served his community and um, was doing so well 
and doing so well in the estimation of Republicans and Democrats. Uh, here's uh, Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley, who's a Republican, and Congressman Mark Vesey from Fort Worth, who is a Democrat. I was always in awe of how he was able to do that. And whenever I talked with him, again, that positive, that optimistic attitude always came out. We didn't always see eye to eye on a lot of different issues, uh, but uh, he was genuinely someone that uh, that I wouldn't even say that he worked hard to get along with other people. He just naturally got along with people. He was just that affable of a person. It was a little tribute to Congressman Wright uh, on the floor of the Texas House and Texas Senate this week. I thought it was very nice Republicans and Democrats saying those same kinds of things about uh, what a kind man he was. I can tell you just in my own conversations, Jeremy, with people who used to work for Ron Wright, I did not know him personally, but they all said the same thing. This is just a guy who was a super nice man, very earnest in everything he was trying to do. Uh, here was Wright a couple of years ago. He was on CBS 11 telling the reporter there, Jack Fink uh, in DFW, that he wasn't going to let his cancer diagnosis define his whole life. You don't stop trying. You don't stop working. You don't stop dreaming. You don't stop doing the things you enjoy. And you don't stop trying to make a difference. It is significant, isn't it, that you do have the first sitting member of Congress uh, to be diagnosed with COVID-19, who was someone who said the economy should be open, uh, you know, as, as a lot of Republicans did, um, and passed away, um, you know, just in front of all of our eyes. And now there will be uh, an election to replace him. I guess the governor can either, I was looking through my notes, the governor can either pick uh, a special election date on the next uniform date, which is in May, uh, or he can do it sooner in certain certain circumstances. I'm not sure why he would need to do that. But what do you think, Jeremy? I mean, we saw reactions from all over the place about this. Yeah, th this is an exclamation point of kind of what we're dealing with, right? Uh, we're going to hit 40,000 Texans dead uh, from COVID-19. Remember back in the summer uh, when we were at 2,000, you know, people mm -hmm. hadn't died you know, it's like, so just, we've added 38,000 people, you know, it's like, and, and, and Mr. Wright is, you know, just, you know, the latest, and it's, and it's really sad, like you pointed out, like, you know, the guy was a, you know, since he came up through the, the local ranks, you know, he was a mm -hmm. city councilman in Arlington for quite a long time, you know, he then went to work for, uh, uh, Joe Barton, who had been mm -hmm. the former congressman, he actually, you know, was his district director. So those guys kind of get, you know, their hands dirty in the ground, you know, working on the blocking and tackling of what members of Congress, you know, do behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he was very, like, you see, he was very community oriented and even becoming the tax assessor collector uh, right. up in Tarrant County. So a very locally driven kind of guy. You know, he ended up going to Congress. He's only been in Congress for two years, but like really you can see that uh, this guy's, you know, commitment to the city, you know, it's like, that's a lot of public service, you know, that, yeah. you know, being the city councilman in Arlington isn't, you know, you know, the most glorious, you know, political position out there. It's a lot of work and, you know, people find you on the streets. <laughs> they tell you when something's wrong, you mm -hmm. know, there's no getting around it. And so it's like, it's, you know, it's just sad. It's just sad to see, you know, and I think as Congress goes forward talking about COVID-19 and what COVID-19 relief means and the, the toll, they now have like a face of one of their own colleagues that I yeah. think is going to be, you know, there. Uh, and you never want to see anybody go, uh, you know, this way because COVID, as we've talked about, is just like the worst way, you know, to die. Mm -hmm. the, the way, you know, it's like he announced he had COVID on you know, January 21st mm -hmm. uh, and he was gone in a couple weeks. You know, just like it's just a it's a terrible disease. And, 
you know, hopefully everybody's taking this seriously, and those who knew him in Congress are clearly going to know, you know, somebody personally that has, you know, died from this now. Yeah, whenever there is personal experience uh, among those who are the policymakers, it changes the way that they talk about it. It changes the decisions that they make. And that's one of the reasons, as I was saying, that I could see some of, not enough, probably, I'm, I'm almost certain, uh, not enough to convict the president, but because they were there on January 6th when that insurrection unfolded, they have a personal experience with the thing that they're talking about. So it's not just the political calculation that is going into the decisions that they're making. Um, an update here on sports betting in Texas. We had reported a lot about this on the show and at HoustonChronicle.com and QuorumReport.com. Lieutenant Governor Dan Petrick was pushing back on the idea this week. I'm glad that he's now on the record about it. He was appearing on West Texas Radio with my friend Chad Hasty to respond to something I had reported about Patrick. And I'll just let you hear this. This is what I said on the Chad Hasty show in Lubbock on KFYL Radio. I've been reporting this out. Uh, the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who has been uh, you know, staunchly opposed to some of these things like uh, sports betting or, uh, or increased gambling in Texas, um, during a Republican caucus meeting, I was told and confirmed this with several sources, that, uh, that the lieutenant governor told Republican senators that if a bill would result in a revenue increase for the state, he would not oppose it. And he was specifically, apparently in this meeting, asked whether that included things like legalized pots or casinos or sports betting. Um, and the, the lieutenant governor apparently just repeated his comment that he, he would not oppose something if it had a positive fiscal note, meaning that it would make more money for the state. Now, of course, Patrick listens to every word I say. He was unhappy with my reporting on this issue. Just absolutely not true. I don't know where he got his sources. I found it interesting, Chad, that the Dallas Morning News, basically their sources said that I was the guy holding up any gambling bill, and Scott said I was ready to let it go. So I think it tells you all you need to know about sources. They hear what they want to hear, or some people say what they want to say, but didn't say it. In fact, here's something interesting, Chad. The reason uh, what Scott said yesterday was so absolutely wrong was because when I every year – People from casinos or sports gambling or the sports teams, every year they come and they lobby to, to pass a bill on something. And every year I tell them the same thing, which is absolutely opposite, again, of what uh, Scott believes the sources uh, told him. Uh, I tell them, don't talk about revenues because the sports gaming, for example, that they're trying to push, the teams are trying to, to push this session, Chad, that generates by their numbers. 150 million a year. Well, Chad, let me tell you how much that pays for of our budget. That's a lot of money, but it pays for about a half a day of our total year. I'm not going to dwell on it, but it's not the first time that the lieutenant governor has misrepresented my reporting and then taken issue with what he says I said that he said. Okay. So our sources, <laughs> do you follow that? Our sources indicated that Patrick had said to Republican senators in private uh, that he would not oppose bills with positive fiscal notes, basically meaning he would be neutral on it. If, if there was a proposal that said that sports betting or casinos or basically or anything would make money for the state without having to raise taxes on Texans, then he would not oppose it. Right. And this is not an insignificant difference. Um, what he told Hasty was, and he told Mark Davis later, is that I had reported that he'd be all for it, that he would support it, which is different, right? Now, here's 
a key nuance. If the lieutenant governor is not opposed to something, it can become the law in Texas. He doesn't have to be for it, right? Casinos can be built or not based on whether the lieutenant governor is neutral on something. In the same interview with Hasty, he said that if there were a certain number of senators, if there was sufficient support in the Senate for it, then it'd be something that you would take a look at. So he's still, even in this interview, uh, Jeremy, not taking it completely off the table. Now, he talked, and we'll see where that goes. I'm not going to dwell on any of that. It's just interesting. And the sports betting guys, they say they're playing the long game here. No matter what Patrick said this week, they're still going to push for it. And the casino lobbyists are still going to push for this. Um, Now, the the Star Spangled Banner has to be defended. And this goes right with the sports betting story. Let me explain how. So the lieutenant governor unveiled this week that one of his top priorities is going to be defending the Star Spangled Banner. You know how this came about? Oh, yeah. Mark Cuban, (laughs) right? Yes. Mark Cuban had made the decision that for the beginning of the NBA season and for the first, uh, I guess, 13 games, the Mavericks games in Dallas, they did not play the Star Spangled Banner. Now, nobody noticed it for 13 games. And then, uh, I guess, for 12 games, they didn't notice it. Then on the 13th game, somebody noticed that they didn't play it. Well, of course, nobody noticed because nobody's there. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They've been playing to empty arenas because of COVID-19. Cuban told ESPN that they were not playing the anthem, not as some uh, protest of the anthem, uh, but he kind of wanted to do a little experiment and and see whether anybody ever, you know, even really cared. What he had uh, argued in some emails to a conservative radio host, Mark Davis, he had argued that people were not respecting the anthem when it was being played before NBA games. He had said that when they play the anthem before the Mavericks games, people don't stand up. People don't stop what they're doing. They don't take their hats off. They don't put their hand over their heart. A lot of people don't. And he he said it's not some people. He said most people don't even care when they're playing the national anthem. So he felt that that was disrespecting the anthem to play it for people who don't really care about it. He also said a lot of people just don't even show up on time to, uh, to be there when it gets played. So what's the difference? Here's what he said. Uh, here's what Cuban said on ESPN. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, first, we, we're always talking to our community. I mean, that's something since stands for and is very insistent upon and has become a, you know, a core part of who we are at the Dallas Mavericks. And in listening to the community, there were quite a few people that voiced their their concerns or really their their fears that the national anthem and did not fully represent did not fully represent them, that their voices were not being heard. And so we've had a lot of conversations about whether or not we should play the anthem. And so during the first preseason game, we decided to to not play it and just see what the response was, um, knowing that we were going to have ongoing um, conversations about it. We didn't make a, any decision to never play the national anthem. That wasn't the case at all. We didn't cancel the national anthem. We still had our flag flying proud and up on the wall at the American Airlines Center, and everybody had the opportunity to address it and 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 you know pray to it or salute to it or however whatever their feelings are. Um, and we, you know, as the games went by, you know, honestly, we we kept on talking about what we were going to do at some point. Um, but obviously it came to the head when it was reported that at one of our games, 
um, that we hadn't played it. But, you know, the bottom line is we had always discussed the fact that we probably went end up playing it at some point, probably when fans came back, but there was never any final decision that had made that we would not play the anthem. Now, just like Patrick felt the need to appear on the Chad Hasty show in Lubbock to respond to me, he also felt the need to respond to Mark Cuban on the Mark Davis show in Dallas, 660 AM. The answer, Patrick said he would not stand for this. This mark, uh, to me, is just as egregious in its own way as those who took to the streets last summer to try and tear down America, to those who took on our capital and tried to tear down our capital and attack the police. Um, you know, that, that's, they didn't stand for the 75 million Trump supporters that I know. This is egregious in its own right, because as divisive as those two acts were, this is even more divisive because this is someone who has lived the American dream. If I have this right, it's more divisive than the insurrection at the Capitol and more divisive than the Black Lives Matter protest because Cuban is rich. <laughs> right. I mean, he's arguing that here's a guy who used to be a bartender and then, you know, made some very smart business decisions and now is a billionaire and the owner of an NBA team. Um, and the fact that he would be doing anything that's sort of protesting, uh, you know, America is extremely divisive. Patrick says it's shameful to ban the national anthem because it is so special. To me, when I sing the anthem, I think of the entire history of our country, yeah. from from our founding fathers uh, through the through the surviving the Civil War through World War One and Two and Vietnam and Korea. Of all these people, the men and women who shed blood. So someone like Mark Cuban could be, go from a bartender to a billionaire. Yeah. To go from a guy who couldn't afford a ticket to the game to owning the team. Uh, that's who we are. <laughs> Jeremy, um, Davis tries to, and I, I thought that Davis did a nice job with this. Mark Davis is a, is a friend of mine, a conservative talk show host who is very thoughtful. And he had had this email exchange with Mark Cuban where they went back and forth about Cuban's reasoning. And again, Cuban had basically been making the argument that it's disrespectful to play the national anthem in, in, you know, in the beginning of an NBA game when people don't pay it the respect that they should be, right? It wasn't like Mark Cuban was saying that he hated the national anthem. It was sort of the opposite. He was saying that people don't care about it when we play it, so let's just do an experiment in, in not playing it and see that how that goes. Now, Mark Davis tries to point that out to Patrick, and that does not seem to matter to the lieutenant governor. Through the emails that he sent, it was like, well, you know, not a lot, not enough people are stopping and paying attention. Nobody paid attention that we weren't playing it this year. They don't take off their hats and show enough respect when we do, and uh, yeah, and it's a sh and, it, and it's a shame that it's been weaponized. Excuses. All they're bad excuses. They're excuse me, they're bad arguments. You're completely, completely right. Also, I'll say well, four times today. Part. Very important. Very important. He has said this is not final. We'll see what we'll do. He'll continue to listen. I hope he listens to me. I hope he listens to you because it was a bad bad decision. Go ahead. Well, and the, and the difference between the, and again, I, I, no excuse for any of these rioters, whether they were on the left or the right in this last year in this country, uh, you might say spontaneous. Obviously, we know there were tr professional troublemakers, you know, uh, Antifa, et cetera, and, and others. But in this case, he didn't react. He didn't react. He thought about this. This was a plan. You know, like you say, he hadn't been doing it for 13 games, but nobody knows because no one was there. But again, we've gone from this started with kneeling four years ago or so yep. with Kaepernick to more kneeling to what happened next. Well, we just won't come out on the field. 
We don't see it on television anymore. And now we're not even playing it anymore. Yep. And, and, and so I don't want to overemphasize this. Look, this is just stupid. It is all kind of stupid, isn't it? Um, the yeah. NBA, <laughs> the NBA um, countered um, Mark Cuban's decision. They overruled him essentially and said that the national anthem per their policy at the, at the NBA needs to be played before every game. So they're going to do that. And, and Cuban didn't take any issue with that. He, again, he said it wasn't some protest of the, um, of the national anthem, but here's part of why all this matters. Remember I said that this had something to do with the sports betting um, legislation, yeah, which a lot of people in Texas really want to see happen. But Patrick says he's very skeptical of that. As you heard earlier, um, Patrick said this stunt by Cuban that's his word. The stunt is going to undermine the push for sports betting because Republicans will now not want to side with sports teams basically on anything. After this stunt, do you think anybody is going to consider Mark just pulled the rug out from every other sports team in Texas uh, with this stunt? They were there. Were, there were already people saying, well, why would I approve sports betting? These are people that don't even make people stand for the flag. Why am I going to do this? Again, because it doesn't generate much money for Texas. Yeah. It generates a lot of money for them. So he is planting a flag about that, so to speak. A uh, lot going on there, Jeremy. Um, number one, he's really just dumping cold water over this whole expanded gambling yeah. um, issue, which we've reported on a lot here. Uh, as has been reported, the um, the gambling interests are not giving up. They say that they're you know, going to continue on. Uh, with their push for expanded gambling. They're playing the long game. That's the way they put it. What were you going to say about it? Yeah, it's interesting because, like, on the, um, you, know, for, you know, a lot of states have gone to this sports betting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know almost like a fan duel type, you know, allowing, you know, more book, you know, basically bookie. Uh, type stuff happening. You know, Tennessee just did this. You know, they were a conservative state, and that just kind of opened this this door to everybody going. Well, let's do it everywhere. You know, in the sports teams, you know, like particularly in the Tennessee case, the sports teams are you know the all the stats and the data comes straight from them uh, to kind of cut out all the middlemen. And so you can see where places like the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Mavericks, you know, would be involved. And and Patrick's right. They would make money off of this. This is a way for them to, you know, get some of that revenue back for them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, here I am agreeing with Dan Patrick, you know, on a couple of fronts here. And, 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 you know, not to go too sidelight, but like, you know, I'm kind of with them on the the Mark Cuban thing. It's, It's like, you know, what made Cuban think? This would be like the social experiment you want to put in place, given where we are as a nation right now. Of you know, like we wanted to see if anybody was going to notice. Really, <laughs> is that like what a weird decision? Because like, and, and look, there are people who are who are probably standing for the anthem, and there's of course there there are some. There are who are, some. Yeah, there's some who are yep. getting nachos or whatever else they're doing. You right. know, it's just like it's always been that way. You know, it's just like it's like it's weird for Cuban to be the guy who goes. You know, I'm going to try a social experiment here. It's like, how do you not think? You know, the Republicans in the state are going to react. Remember, you know, Ted Cruz was you know totally you know going after uh, Beto O'Rourke back in 2018 mm-hmm. 
for his being okay with people kneeling to express their right. frustration with, you know, civil injustice. Mm-hmm. You know, it says, like, that became a commercial. Uh, you know, that was right around the time that, you know, Kaepernick, you know, Colin Kaepernick was, you know, you know, people were outraged that he had been kneeling for the, the national anthem just before that. And so yeah. they're like, all right. You remember Dan Patrick, you know, if you remember, it was like three years ago where he said, that's it, I'm boycotting Nike. You know, he's not going to buy any more Nike running shoes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or cleats or whatever else Dan Patrick would be buying from Nike. I'm not sure, but, but you know, he was leading the boycott. And so right. this kind of new Cuban was kind of opening this door to nothing but criticism in Texas, particularly from the right, by doing this. It's like, it's, again, it's funny. This almost circles back to Paxton. If you're going to do this, you probably need to get the, the sign off on on it from the NBA, right? Like, what yeah. kind of hell are you putting us into by doing this, you know, Mr. Cuban? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think the um, the counter-argument, it was real interesting. I was watching Fox News Channel uh, yesterday morning, and they had a former NFL player on, Ben Watson, who does a lot of political commentary now, somebody who wants to weigh in on these sorts of things. And I thought it was not the commentary I expected to hear on Fox News Channel. Um, ben Watson, who is an African-American, was saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was basically saying that what Cuban had done uh, by engaging in this little experiment was give people a chance and some space to have a debate about whether it should be something that you're forced to do to sort of honor the country when they play a song versus having a conversation about doing the work that it takes to make everyone proud of the country so that when they hear the song, you don't have to force them to do anything. They just stop what they're doing and they get up and they put their hand over their heart because they want to. Right. And so, and so the opposite of that is, you know, Patrick coming out and saying, we need to force people to do this. He introduced in the mid in the middle of all of this, even uh, as the NBA was saying that they were going to overrule Mark Cuban and that the song would have to be played. Patrick was still telling all of us through a press release that the Star Spangled Banner Protection Act will be one of his priorities for this legislative session. Uh, Senate Bill 4, and the way it works in the Senate and in the House, by the way, is the low numbers for for legislation, the, the low numbers for the bills, those are the priorities. So you look at, you know, SB 1 through 30, and that's typically the, the lieutenant governor likes to do a list of 20 or a list of 30 or whatever it is. These are the top things that they're going to pass in the Texas Senate. Um, and Senate Bill 4, that makes it a very high priority to be number four, is that is this. It will, quote, ensure that the national anthem is played at all events which receive public funding. So now they're going to have that debate. I think to your point, Jeremy, it's interesting um, – the red meat that Republicans are leaning on now in Texas, I'm reminded of the defund police versus defending police during uh, the November yep. elections. Good call. Where where it's a politically, now people can think what they want about the policy, and I'm not somebody who's a big fan of forcing people to say, um, you know, a pledge of allegiance or, or sing the national anthem. I think people ought to want to do those things because they're proud of the country. I certainly am. Um, but. It's one of those things that politically the Democrats will get roped into, not all of them, but a bunch of them will get roped into being against it, the Star Spangled Banner, right? The, the, yep. the Republicans will paint them as being against the Stars and Stripes, paint them as being against, oh, say, can you see, you know, what, what I would like them to do is mandate that whoever sings it is a good singer is that at a sports event. Yeah. That's not always the case. <laughs> and maybe, 
maybe they could mandate, maybe a friendly amendment, they could mandate that it takes less than 10 minutes to sing it. Because sometimes it goes on for a yeah. long, long time, way, way longer than it should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe I'm in the minority <laughs> here, but the, the Super you, Bowl. Do you like when it goes on know, forever? The, 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 you, no, yeah. no. The, the national anthem during the Super Bowl, I thought was like nuts because it was, you know, the country's, you know, singer Eric Church starting off with the, almost like a guitar solo. Like he was like mm-hmm. shredding to, you know, the national anthem. And, like, and it just yeah, like was the Jimi Hendrix right style now, national anthem. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just like, what's going on here? It's like everybody's trying to be, you know, unique in their way of presenting the national anthem. I, I get it. I get it. You know, it's like everybody wants to have their. Uh, Mariah yep. Carey or Whitney Houston moment. You know, Whitney Houston, obviously, she had that one singing in the national anthem, and like, you know, everybody loved it, and everything is judged mm-hmm. compared to, but so many people just flub on it, <laughs> you know? And right. it's just like, just to see people mess up the lyrics. And, and I always think about those, like, uh, those <laughs> hockey teams, you know? It's like, I've been yep. watching a lot of hockey lately. Mm-hmm. And you see, like when they're playing the Canadian national anthem, uh, and you have the American, you know, players not paying attention at all, and then they're playing the American anthem, and like, you know, are the Canadian athletes like, you know, what are they thinking? You know, do they have to like, uh, you got to make sure I'm, you know, pledging allegiance to America and Canada here. So yeah, I don't right. do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe a national anthem that is not so difficult to sing. You have to. It's a really hard song to sing. It's, yeah. it, you have to have a real range to do it, to, to do it correctly. If you've ever looked at the sheet music on that, I guess the distillation of what I'm saying is that national pride and being, you know, being somebody who wants to belt out the Star Spangled Banner, it should be inspired, yes. not requ- not required. Agreed. That's how I would put that. Um, what, what, but you know what? We'll see how this plays out. If this is the culture war issue of the legislative session... I would say the culture war stuff in Texas is kind of becoming low key because this is not, this is not anything on the level of, uh, you know, requirements for who can use which public restroom. Like we saw back in 2017, those kinds of throwdowns, you're not going to see the business community coming out and fighting an attempt to require that the star spangled banner be, you know, performed at events that receive tax dollars. Um, seems like one of those layups for Republican leadership. We'll see where this goes. That is probably enough show. Try to stay warm this weekend. We tried to give you a little bit of a longer show here so that you, you know, you had something to listen to. We burned about an hour for you uh, while you have your snow day on. I guess we're going to get snow Monday and maybe Wednesday next week Yeah, here I, in Austin. Yeah, I saw a zero degree low temperature for yeah. my area here in Williamson County, and that's right. making me a little nervous. Yeah, I saw an overnight low, I think, uh, going in Sunday, Monday uh, in Houston of two uh-huh. I think it was zero in uh, in Dallas. It's a it's a Texas tundra out there. <laughs> so so take care of yourself and make sure you've got your supplies and everything like that because um, you may not be, even be able to go to the grocery yeah, store for. Yeah, a my days. son asked me a really you know, important question. He's like, where do you find an ice scraper in Texas? And I'm like, <laughs> good question. Uh, no idea. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You you, just, you don't. Uh, if you still have an old CD, you still have any uh, music on CDs? Of course. You can use it. You can use that because you don't really need it anymore because everything's on, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to use a Willie Nelson CD to de-ice my car. Not happening, period. All right, fine. All right, fine. Um, That's enough show. We will see you next week. We will do the plugs here first, though. If you enjoy this show, 
you know you do. You should subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Jeremy's work appears each and every day at HoustonChronicle.com. And for up-to-the-minute intelligence on what's happening in your state government at your state capitol, and it's that much more important right now during the legislative session, go to QuorumReport.com, click subscriptions. We will get you signed up. We'll see you next week. Mm